Chapter 5. Who is the Father? Christians and non-Christians, atheists and agnostics, theologians and laymen, thinkers and non-thinkers, pastors and priests, men and women and children alike, possess but hazy and scant images of the sort of being God the Father actually is. What is his character, his nature? What are his essential purposes in his dealings with man? Who is God? Men and women have been asking variations of this question since time began. Yet because it is so lofty an inquiry, and because the air of the holiness veil-shroud remains so deeply entrenched, they bring a series of devastating misconceptions to it. Most of us can parrot back phrases and principles we have been taught. Theologians and writers, priests and preachers, lecturers and conference leaders, till and retill the same tired soil of their worn-out doctrines, offering little more than what they have been taught. But few really know the nature of the one with whom Jesus went out into the hills alone. Incredibly, we are even afraid to inquire. Somehow we have embraced the notion that God does not want us asking too many questions about him. The clouds of Sinai still swirl about our heads, and we're a little afraid to look up. What mother or father would scold an inquisitive child for the question, Mommy, Daddy, what do you like? I want to know you more deeply. What joy would fill the heart of the parent hearing such words? But the keepers of the ecclesiastical doorways tell us not to question, not to probe, not to inquire too extensively into God's character or his eternal purposes. Hungry hearts and active brains threaten their established systems. As long as God is kept distant and unapproachable, the people will look to these valley theologians, like the priests of old, to interpret him for them, rather than climbing up into his lap and gazing into his face for themselves. The fear of stepping outside the orthodoxies of our religious systems has created a new hierarchy of fear, just as surely as if we were still held under the thumb of an Old Testament priesthood. Salvation is not an issue here. A prisoner sitting in a stone cell may receive food every day from a warden he never sees. The food nourishes him and offers him life, though he knows nothing of the hand providing it. And if one day a writ of pardon comes from the hand of a forgiving and gracious judge, the prisoner will be unshackled and full of rejoicing when he walks outside into the air of freedom though he has never laid eyes on his Savior and knows nothing about him. Likewise, salvation comes through Jesus Christ to millions for whom relationship with his Son seems very near and real and personal, yet who may never meet his Father face to face, nor seek to know what manner of Father Jesus repeatedly spoke of. It is possible, indeed even likely, 
To enter into the second birth made available by God's Spirit, yet exist in only a textbook relationship with his fatherhood. These Christians are part of God's family, and they have established a certain level of relationship with Son and Spirit. They may evidence genuine spiritual life. With respect to the Father, however, they have a relationship we might describe as knowing a friend of a friend. The relationship is one of vague familiarity, not intimacy. Even after years as members of his family, it is possible to know very little about the nature of the Father Jesus so intimately called Abba. We relate to the Father as the two bookends framing existence. We recognize him as the vague begetting source of life, the Alpha. And we tremble when we think of him as the severe and terrible judge of sin on the great white throne of eternity, the Omega. Between the two, however, most Catholics and Evangelicals, Protestants and Jews, live out their lives largely inattentive to that deepest fundamental relationship between child and father, from which they were created to draw every breath. Life between the bookends offers a comfortable and pleasant social and churchy existence, leaving the larger and all-important purposes of the father for the next life. Such is not the kind of life into which Jesus invited his disciples when he said, Follow me. It is not the kind of life he lived for and died for. Full fellowship, the whole measure of spiritual maturity of which Paul spoke, the full gospel Jesus came to reveal, is fellowship with his Father. To move toward intimacy with the Father, therefore, requires that we acknowledge the following with honesty and humble self-examination. It is easier than we may have realized to think we know a great deal about God the Father without knowing Him personally. What is the Father like? This is the most important question of our existence. It is the universal quest. Finding the answer and forming a proper heart response to that answer is the ultimate journey upon which our earthly footsteps are bound, the pilgrimage toward our destiny as human beings.